Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here today. Lord, for every person that's broken, for every person that's hurt, that came into this place with anxiety and depression and worry and fear, we stand against it in the name of Jesus. And we thank you that we can provide a spiritual respite, an island for our souls to rest from the weariness of the world and the craziness of those around us that we can come together and encourage one another, lift one another up. And in and through that, we glorify you and we praise you and we thank you for the opportunity. And Lord, we lift up those around the world, Lord. They're not debating theology. They're not discussing church polity. They're not in meetings. God, they're worried about whether or not they're going to be beheaded in the next 24 hours. Lord, they are focused on what matters. May we lock arms in spirit with our brothers and sisters around the world to be focused on what matters. Lord, for any one of us, we could be in that situation. At any moment, Lord, may we have the courage and the strength through the power of the Holy Spirit to focus on what matters and cast everything else aside. Lord, I know personally of pastors who have been starved to death, who have been kicked out of hospitals and left to die because they are Christians around the world, Lord, as my brothers and sisters in Christ preach and proclaim your gospel, may I have no less boldness, may I have no less focus than they to put aside denominational differences, to put aside our differences and focus on you. There is more at stake than our tradition. There is more at stake than our denominations. There is more at stake than the pettiness that we've allowed to creep into the Western church. God, I ask you to forgive us. I ask you to forgive us. And Lord, we say we are sorry and we apologize for the pettiness of our tradition and our denominations. And we lay them down to pick up the cross of Christ to march the gospel forward at all costs. Lord, if there comes a day that we can't gather, we don't care. We want you. We'll gather in our homes. We'll gather in coffee shops. We'll gather underneath trees. We will gather wherever you lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You may be seated. We're going to not dismiss the kids right now. But we're going to go into a time of reflection and communion. We're going to go into a time of soul searching. I'm going to invite you, as they begin to pass out the communion elements, I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians. If you've got your Bible, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 verse 23. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I want to stop right there as they're passing out the bread, and I want to 
I want us to consider a word that Paul uses when he says, for I received. The word received is a compound Greek word, paralambano. Para means to come alongside of. Lombano means to aggressively take hold of it. It's the idea that I walk beside you and I aggressively, aggressively take hold of what I've been taught and move forward with. And so he says that when, when this was revealed to me, I aggressively took hold of it and made it my own. And so what I'm going to ask you to do right now is just to bow your head and close your eyes. And as they're continuing to pass out the bread, I want to invite you to examine your own heart. What is God showing you about yourself? What is God showing you about yourself? What is the change that he's showing you? The Bible tells us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, that he took that bread, as Paul says, and he gave thanks for it. And he was grateful for what that means. I don't know that any of us in this room will ever fully understand what that means. So if you've properly done a self-examination and the Lord has revealed something and you have, as Paul says, paralambano, you have come alongside and agreed with what God has shown you and you have aggressively grabbed a hold of that thing and said, yes, Lord, I need to change or yes, I need to do this or yes, Lord, forgive me for my attitude, forgive me of what I've, the attitudes that I've allowed in my heart. And I want you to go ahead and take the bread and eat it. That night that Jesus ate, you'll notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, Paul goes on to write, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. They would drink the, drink the cup after they've eaten, and so time has passed. We take the bread and the cup right after another, but in the original room, they would have eaten a full meal before they took the cup. And so... I want us to think about what this represents, the life. The Bible says that the life is in the blood. It represents the life of Jesus. His body was bruised, broken, but his blood was spilled as a sacrifice to bring his creation back to him. 
and there's life in that blood. And when we say yes to the blood of Jesus Christ, we're saying, yes, I want your life flowing through me. So would you, in your own way, just take a, t- take a moment, bow your head, close your eyes as they pass out the cup, and in your own unique way, say, yes, Lord, I invite your life, I invite your life into me. Help in your own way. Just say, Lord, I want my life to reflect you. And as we continue to pass out the cups, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your blood that was shed on Calvary. That, Lord, it was shed for the forgiveness of sins. And it was shed for a redemptive work that you so love the world that you gave your only son that whoever would put their faith and belief in you would not die but have everlasting life. That you came to redeem all things, not just the soul of man. And we put our belief, our faith, and our trust in that. You promised to redeem us. And so we invite you in this moment to show us how we can better live out that life as life is in the blood. We might be able to live out your kingdom here on earth. We might be able to live out your plan and your purpose to show the world around us that there's a new kingdom and a new way to do things. It's coming. It's already here. And one day it will be fulfilled. And so, Lord, I thank you that you give us that opportunity and you call us alongside yourself to allow the life that's in your blood to flow through us so that we might share the good news of the gospel with others. In Jesus' name. If you have the cup, let's drink. God, we thank you for the opportunity again. Not only to recognize the body that was broken and bruised to redeem creation, but the blood that was spilled so that we might live victoriously in and through you, that your spirit might live through us. So as we go throughout the rest of the day, the rest of the week, and years to come, we might experience your glory. We might experience your passion for the lost. We might experience your love for us that is reflected back to you in a life dedicated to you above everything else this world has to offer. And we will not commit and give our lives to idolatry as Adam and Eve did, to idolize the creation over the creator. But we will always keep you first. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, you guys are in for a surprise because they're not done handing out goodies this morning. They're prepping to hand out some more goodies. We're going, the the title of this morning's sermon is, You Are TBD. You Are TBD. And I'm excited to share this this morning as we've, if you came and thought, well, we're going to talk about symbols of the Holy Spirit, uh, that was, we finished that last week, 
You are TBD. You are to be determined. Okay? What does that mean? You are, go ahead and pass them out, guys. Don't wait on me. Just go. Do your thing. If you wait on me, you might be, well, never mind. Pass them out. What does it mean? Oh, kids, get out of here. Sorry. That's what you were waiting on. I'm sorry. Get, <laughs> go. All right. You are TBD. You are to be determined. Um, let's, as they're, as they're passing this out, There are things in our lives that as we go through life, we kind of slowly begin to discover what we're supposed to be doing with our lives and what we're supposed to be doing. And God never, God never shows us, unless I've got an exception to the rule in here, God never truly shows us everything that we're going to face in life, right? It's kind of the next step, the next step, the next step, the next step. And so when I say that you are TBD, you are to be determined, the purpose and the, full, and the fullness of your life is still yet to be determined as long as you're sucking air. I got any air suckers in here? Everybody make sure some of you are doubting, like, I don't know, I'm pretty close to not sucking. All right. So God is still revealing his plan, his purpose, and his will in your life, and as we're going to see in this next passage, when Jesus talked and gave this parable, the disciples really didn't have a clue what he was talking about, but it was to be determined. In Mark chapter 4, and let's read Mark chapter 4, um, verses 30 through 34. It says, and this is Jesus talking to his disciples, and again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed. Now you know what you got in your hand. It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke, to the, spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds. Now, we know that the mustard seed is not the smallest of all seeds. So what in the world was Jesus wrong? Is the Bible wrong? No, let's keep it in context. In that culture, in that day, in that time period, those people, their smallest seed was what you hold in your hand, the black mustard seed. The black mustard seed. So there's different types of mustard seeds. Jesus was specifically refer referencing the black mustard seed. And he says the kingdom of God. And the first thing that he does, I love what he does, he includes everyone, and he says, okay, what can we compare? Notice Jesus didn't say, what can I compare the kingdom of God to? He said, what can we compare the kingdom of God to? And so he pulls his people in. It's important for you and I, as a part of the kingdom of God, 
to begin to pull people in. To pull people in from all walks of life, from all backgrounds and, and, and all colors and all races and all creeds. That we begin to pull people in. There should be something so alive in us and growing in us that people say, I want to be a part of that. That it's not difficult for people to look from the outside in and go, I don't know what those people have, but I want it. Right? When you look at a tree, you don't have to question or not whether it's going to grow. You know over time whether or not that tree is alive and healthy because it grows. We should be the same way. Our churches should be the same way. If we are healthy, we are growing. If we are not healthy, we are dying and shrinking. And we have to make a decision. So Jesus says the kingdom of God is going to be like this little, the smallest of all seeds, it's going to be like this. Now, again, this is, this is a parable and a pro- proverbial saying. We know and God knows that the seed is not the the black mustard seed is not the smallest, but this is the exact seed that Jesus was talking about. You can buy them on Amazon, by the way. That's where I got them, okay? Because they still grow them, right? We still, I got mustard in my fridge. Where do you think it came from? Um, and so these seeds, he's speaking proverbially, and these seeds range anywhere from 0.5 millimeters to one millimeter in size. Now, the tree itself can grow anywhere from 20 to 30 feet tall and 20 feet wide inside that seed. Inside that seed is a tree up to 30 feet tall and 20 feet wide in that, 0.5 millimeters inside of that. So Jesus is talking about the church that he's about ready to birth. And he's, this parable is about the church age to come. And he's saying... There's this little thing happening right now. What shall I compare my kingdom to? Oh, we, right? What shall we compare this kingdom to? It's like this mustard seed. And the kingdom of God is going to begin to grow. Now, he says that the crows will at time begin to perch in its branches, right? There will be things in the kingdom of God that were like, okay, you're just resting here, but you're really not a part of the tree, right? That happens. But the tree begins to grow, and it begins to take off. And what I want to tell you is this, that whatever God has placed in your heart is TBD. It's to be determined, and that by comparison, what you start with is nothing like the end product will be. It never is. It never, never is is. Some of you I know have started your own business, and where the business is today is not like it was when it started, right? Churches are the same way. Churches never stay the same. They can't. And so our lives can't stay the same. Aren't you glad that you're not the same size as the day you were born, right? I mean, seriously, aren't you glad you learned to control your bladder? You grow up, <laughs> amen, thank you, I got an amen, wow. I mean, you, we grow up into things, we change, we, we, we grow, and so because of that, thankfully, I'm not the same as I was, that I've matured beyond. Thankfully, I don't think the way I did in junior high, in high school, 
and college, right? Some of you think that I still think that way, but you didn't know me then, so I don't think that way, right? Aren't you glad you don't act and think that way anymore? Amen. Yes, we grow and we change and we mature. And so Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is going to grow and it's going to mature and it's going to flourish like this seed. It's not going to stay the same. And you know how something's growing and maturing is that it begins to produce fruit. Jesus says you will know them, know them by their fruit. Right? Didn't he curse a fig tree that wasn't producing? He did. He said, you're not producing, you're not growing, done. Now, there's all kinds of different thoughts behind those verses, but the point is, you're not growing, you're not producing, we're done. Why? Because the kingdom of God is life, and it's life-giving, and it should be producing, and it should be growing. However small it starts... Whatever God has laid on your heart, whether it's a business or a family or another child or whatever it is that God has laid on your heart, the good news is that he doesn't intend for it to stay a seed, that he wants to grow things. God is a grower. Love is a grower. It grows and it produces and people are attracted to it. Do you know that even a dead plant that is dying will be attracted to light? That which is dying will even grow towards life. But life is never attracted to death. People who are alive and full of the passion and power of God are not attracted to things that are dying and dead. But things that are dying and dead are attracted to things that are giving life. Why? Because we all want to feel alive. We want to feel like we're moving. We don't want to feel stagnant. We don't want to feel like we're standing still. This is why suicide rates among the elderly are some of the highest of any age. Of age. It's because they begin to feel like they no longer serve a purpose and their life has become stagnant. What's the point? I'm near death anyway. It's a sad reality. Right? And so we have to begin to realize that if I'm still breathing air, God still has a purpose. There are things I'm still yet to do and a purpose I still have to... Uh, to fulfill in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do just for a minute right so he says Christ Jesus he doesn't say Jesus Christ he says Christ Jesus his deity over his humanity God has prepared from heaven to earth from Christ his heavenly his the messiahship to Jesus' human side, his earthly side, God in heaven has prepared, pl plan, has prepared plans for you. Amen? You should be excited about that. Like, I should get like a yeehaw or, right, thank you, or something. Yeah? Like teenagers should be giving me a yeet right now. There. All right. Yeet. I'll let all you older folks... Ask your teenagers what that means. So, listen, God has plans and purpose for you. The word workmanship, um, in that for God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, prepared in advance, literally means a constructed purpose. God has 
handiwork. He has a constructed purpose for you. He has a constructed, pre-designed, planned purpose for you. How does that make you feel? Yes. Special, rambunctious, good. Right? You have a plan and a purpose. You're still to be determined. And then he says, good works. Now, I love this word, good. It's a Greek word, agathos. It means intrinsically good. Bringing out the good within. That when you accept Christ and the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, you now have inside of you something that is intrinsically good, and he has plans to begin to pull the Holy Spirit through you, working into your life so that you can begin to see the fullness of his calling in your life. Your calling might be to be a clerk at a doctor's office. That's okay. You need to be Jesus in that doctor's office. Wherever you're... Listen, work is God's idea. And so when we go into our jobs and into our work and we do our work to give glory to God and reflect his glory back to him, that is God working through us. You worship with your work. Do you understand this? Because God has given you that gift and that skill set and that ability to be used out there as a shining light for him. And so your skills, your gifts, and your abilities are what God has given you and worked into you. And when you team those with the Holy Spirit, he now has a plan to work that through with what is intrinsically good about you. Are you with me? He wants to work that out. That's his plan. You're to be determined. I hear people say all the time, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. If you're a Christian, please stop saying that. Please stop. That is wrong. You were a sinner that was saved by grace, but now you are a child of God. Now, do you still sin? Yes. But when you say, I'm just a sinner, you're identifying with your action, not your being. Do you understand? That I can, listen, if I come up to you and go, I'm a plumber, what happens the day I can no longer plumb? Am I still, I'm not a plumber, why? Because I've taken my identity and attached it to what I do. I'm a football player. What happens if you get injured and you can't play football anymore? You're not a football player anymore. You've lost your identity, and you see it in professional sports all the time because they identify with what they do rather than who they are and what God's designed them to be. And if I'm designed, and now I am saved by grace through faith, that I'm a child of God, I'm seated at the right hand of God, I am God's child, I am, I am inheriting all that Christ has for me, and I'm the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 5, 2, then guess what? I'm a child of God. I do football. I do plumbing. I do art. I do music, but it's not who I am. And my identity then gets worked out through what I do. But to say that I'm a sinner saved by grace speaks of a thing of the past and quit identifying with the sin you did. I am now a child of God. 
and the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. That's who I am. You guys got all quiet on me. Okay? So, we do not define ourselves by our actions, but by our calling. And God has called you to be a child of his, and that's who you are. Your actions should be the fruit of who you are. Remember what Jesus said? You will know them by their fruit. You see, I can't, I can't judge why you did something or why you said something. I'm not in your heart. I'm not in your mind. I can't judge your motives. But Jesus gave me permission to be a fruit inspector. And I'm going to inspect the fruit of your life. So when's the last time you brought somebody to Jesus? When's the last time that you shared Jesus with somebody? How, how are you living that out? If your boss asks you, ask you to do something, do you go the extra mile? Right? Do you go the extra mile like Jesus instructed us to do? Do you do that on your job? Or do you say, well, that's it. That's all they're paying me for and I'm done. You live out who you are through your actions. And Jesus says you'll know them by their fruit. You'll know them by what they produce. Think about this. Inside of you is a seed that God has planted, a dream, a vision, something that God has given you to do. That person that you're like, man, I should really just call them. Call them. That person you think, I should just go take them groceries. Take them groceries. I don't care if the person's a millionaire and lives on Geist with waterfront property. If God tells you to take them groceries, take them groceries. It doesn't matter whether they're living under a bridge or living in a $14 million house. If God says to go do it for them, you go do it for them. Right? That's who we are. That's following God and allowing God to carry things out in us. And, and so if that's inside of you, consider this. Consider Abraham. Abraham had the seed of Israel in him, but it took 100 years to get it out. Moses had the seed of leadership in him, but it wasn't for Egypt. It wasn't to lead Egypt. It was to lead the slaves out. And no matter how much they grumbled and griped along the process, remember several months ago when I gave the sermon about Moses carrying the Israelites out and they got halfway out and they said, we don't like this, we'd rather go back and be slaves to Egypt because we were, we were getting beaten and we were dying, but we were at least comfortable there, right? You guys don't remember that, do you? Yeah, okay, I said it, all right, it's recorded, I said it. Because why? Because <laughs> change is hard. We would rather go back and die and guess what generation never saw the promised land? Because they'd rather go back to the way it was. They wanted to die. Right? Because God had placed inside of Moses a love for his people and the seed of leadership to lead them into a promised land that they couldn't see. But because they couldn't see it and they couldn't understand it, they said, well, you know what? We're more comfortable with this, so let's go back and die. Moses was like, all right. And God said, okay, that's fine. You're going to die in the wilderness but my people are going to go on to see the promised land. But God had placed that in Moses. God had placed it in Abraham. David had within himself the seed that would eventually, 970 years later, bring Jesus. Sometimes we don't always see in our minds, in our imagination, the full result of what God wants to do. It's like what? That's my phone. I'm sorry. 
it's dispatch. Ignore it. All right. So sometimes God places in us things that we can't see, and we have to go along with it anyway because it's still to be determined. Because if God showed you the whole picture, you'd be like, uh-uh, not doing that. Mm-mm. Can't handle that. It's too much. I don't understand it, so I'm not going to do it. Right? Or we'd be like Abraham. Hey, God said, I'm going to have a kid. And Sarah's like, <laughs> not out of this womb. This, uter- this uterus is dry and dusty and dirty. Right? <laughs> she goes, but I tell you what, I've got this really good-looking slave woman. She's about 18. Why don't you sleep with her? And what happens when God tells you, well, I can't figure out how it all is going to work, so the only thing that makes sense to me is why don't you go sleep with her? So sometimes when God tells us, we botch it up because <laughs> we try to do it under our own power and our own way, right? So sometimes, sometimes we have to say, okay, that's what God said. I don't know how it's going to work, but let's go. Let's do it. Let's move forward, right? Doesn't the Bible say that we don't always know how the seed grows, but it gets watered, right? We plant it. God does the growing, right? God does it. It doesn't make sense to us. It won't always make sense to us. But inside of you is something that God has placed to accomplish and to go do. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 20 through 24, in in creation, God said, let the water team with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, and each according to its kind, and it was so. Now, leave that verse up there for a second. Inside the dirt was the seeds that God needed to create life. It was already there. He said, let the land produce it. He said, let the land produce it and let the livestock come. Now, God didn't say, okay, now let's create an ox, and then let's create a long-haired Scottish cow, and then let's produce a dairy cow, and then let's... No! You know what? He said, let the land produce the life that is in it. Go! And it produced after its kind. And it began to produce. I believe that when he created the birds of the air, there weren't eggs in a nest. The birds, poof, they're mid-flight, soaring. They just, boom, they're there. And they just begin to do what they do because that's who they are. Because I don't see a bird, I don't see a bird flying into a barn saying, I'm here to be milk to produce milk for you. Because a bird is a bird is a bird, right? A bird is not identifying as a cow. Let's just clear that up, right? A bird is a bird. A cow doesn't say, hey, watch me jump off this cliff, I'm going to fly. You know the animals that do that? They're called lemmings. And they, they all run off the cliff, right? Because everything has its place. Everything is designed to do something in God's creation. Everything has a purpose in God's creation. And so the seed was there. But when God created man, he formed us out of the dirt, just like he formed the animals out of the dirt and out of the earth, go, foom. Water, foom. Produce what's in you. Produce it. Go, foom. But man, he gets dirt together. And he's like, okay, we're good. 
We all good? Holy Spirit, you good? Jesus, you good? We all good? Okay, the Trinity's good. Let's work together on this. Let's come together. Let's, okay, you know what we're going to do differently, though? We're going to breathe life into this. He didn't breathe into the bird's beak. He didn't breathe into the cow's mouth. He didn't breathe into the gorilla's mouth. He breathed into humanity, making us different. Do our earth suits go back to dust? You bet they do. But inside of you is something far greater, far more spiritual, and far more eternal than a cow. And you have a plan, and you have a purpose, and a destiny. The fact that God placed inside of you everything you will need to accomplish, everything he calls you to do. Everything that God's going to call you to do is already here and inside of you. You might have to grow in some things. You might have to let some things go. You might have to mature. You might have to go through difficult times. But those difficult times are going to mature you to get you to where God needs you to be. Right? So God has inside of you everything he needs to pull out. You've just got to work with him. And it's there. In Mark 4, 30 through 34, we go back to this story where Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like a seed. So get your seed, put it in your hand, and I'm just going to talk for a minute about this seed. Because you have to understand something, that just as the seed has something in it, so do you. And so if there's a, a, a new business or God's laying something on your heart, this is a principle in Scripture that inside of things are exactly what God intended, and God will pull it out of you. I'm thinking specifically about, let me just give you a spe specific example, and he's going to take me out behind the woodshed when I mention this. Now, all of you men are like, is he going to talk about me? Because I said, but inside of this guy named John Kinzinger was this idea and dream to start a bass club in Lapel for the high school students. And he came to me and he goes, hey, I'd like to start a bass club for high school students to mentor and you know, give the high school students something to do. He goes, what do you think? And I said, you tell me how the church can help you with your dream and we're going to go alongside you with it. And out of that birthed the high school lapel high school bass fishing team. Right? Inside of each of you is a dream and a purpose. Something that God births in you. Now, you might first think it's your idea, but I would challenge that, right? And now they're like, you know, God does amazing things with your ideas. So inside of you, hold that seed, and just like that dream, that thought was inside of John, inside of this seed, you're not holding a seed, Look at the seed. You're not holding a seed. You're holding a 30-foot tree. And let me go a step farther. You're not holding a 30-foot tree because if that tree's alive and healthy, it's going to produce more trees. You're potentially holding in your hand a mustard forest. Think about it. Inside of that is a mustard forest. If you will plant that and grow that and allow 
what's in there to be worked and properly cultivated and put in a healthy environment. But the same is true of you. And if you're still sucking wind, you still have dreams and ambitions and goals that God has placed in you, as we saw in Ephesians, that he's got plans and purpose. And if we allow him through the power of the Holy Spirit to pull that out of us, we will see his work in our life. I've got a brother, Joseph, over here who drums. And he always wanted to help people, but he could never figure out how to help people. And now he's working a job where the CEO is now coming down from Wisconsin to want to know how he's doing so well because inside of him was a dream and a purpose to work a job to directly work with people who are dysfunctional and help them get functional. And now his dream is growing. And he's writing SOPs for the company. And the CEO wants to know how he's doing it. You guys, inside of each one of you is something God has placed inside of you. But if you try to grow it yourself, you'll kill it. Because only the Holy Spirit knows how he wants to pull it out of you and drag it out of you and to make it happen. But we think, okay, we got to have this process and do it this way and then make that happen and then time this. And, okay, I'm not feeling this, so I need to go over here and do this. And I want to tell you to stop. Allow God's will to find you. And allow the Holy Spirit to organically begin to grow out of you what he's placed inside of you. Hold that seed again. Just look at it. The fact is, is you're holding a, must, a black mustard seed in your hand. The truth is, is you hold a mustard forest in your hand. Fact this is, how philo- this is how philosophy defines the two. A fact is, a logic, is logic that cannot be disputed. The fact is, you're holding a seed in your hand. Now, this is how philosophy defines truth. It must be discovered, acknowledged, and lived out. The truth is, there's a tree in your hand, a 30-foot tree in your hand. That's the truth. But it has to be discovered You have to acknowledge, you have to look at that seed and acknowledge that there is life in there. And then you have to begin to let it live its life out. There's a difference between fact and truth, but in Western thought, in Western culture, we think fact and truth are the same, and they are not. Fact, it's in my hand. Truth, there is a tree, if not a forest, and food in my hand. That's the truth. Fact is, as you're sitting here today with dreams and visions and hopes, the truth can be that your dreams, visions, and hopes through the power of the Holy Spirit impact countless others. But will you let it happen? Or will you shut it down? And will you say, no, we have to do it this way? Because there's not a single mustard tree that looks identical. There's not a single tree the elders and I went to Brown County yesterday and we just walked through Hoosier National Forest and we reconvened. We all went our own ways. It was a miracle we found ourselves an hour later at the same spot because none of us, okay, two of us had GPS. Josh, who's not so tech savvy, I said, where did you go walking? He goes, I walked on the roads because I knew I could walk. So Josh isn't here today. He's going, he's at his nephew's baptism. But when you see Josh, just say, so I heard you walked on the roads. Um, anyway, but here's the thing. We all came back and we said, you know what? 
There isn't a single tree that's the same. It's okay that you're different. It's okay that one church does this and one church does that and, and somebody does this and somebody, because it's all different. And in the forest of God, it's a beautiful thing. And I want to tell you, you might have an idea you think is dumb, but pray on it, sit on it. Let God begin to birth that in you. Maybe it's an art studio. Maybe it's a music studio. Maybe it's, maybe it's you just want to play for football for a certain university. Whatever it is, whatever that dream is, go after it. It's a seed that God's planted in you. Let it come to life. Let it be birthed. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand up. As we draw this to a close, though, I want to say something. That a seed cannot grow unless it's in the right environment. And here's what God wants to do. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus and you've never chosen to follow Jesus, God says, I want you to come down and let your heart be fertile soil so I can plant a seed of life in you and that I want to begin to grow in you. If you want to allow your heart to be that fertile soil, you say, God, I'm sorry for trying to grow this tree and these dreams myself. God, I want to give you my dreams and my visions and my plans. And I want to see you take control. I'm going to ask Steve and Bonnie to to come down here and ask Aaron and Lori to come down here and they're going to pray with you that you might accept Christ that Christ might put his seed in you and you begin to grow in the power of the Holy Spirit in this thing we call Christianity if you're here this morning and you need prayer for anything else before we close they're going to be up here they want to pray with you they want to believe with you I know we've had a long service this morning. We've had a lot going on, a lot of moving parts today. But I'm going to ask everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. The band's not going to come back up. We're going to examine our hearts in silence. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here today. Lord, I thank you for every person within the sound of my voice that has a dream in them, has an aspiration to do whatever it is that you've placed inside of them. Lord, as they yield that dream over to you, as they hand that over to you and yield to your will, God, may they see that dream come to fruition. Lord, just as you started this movement with a small mustard seed parable, Lord, and it, Christianity has grown exponentially. Lord, may the seed that you've placed inside of each of us as we yield it to you grow in ways we could not imagine. And we thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit working that out through us and in us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. You're dismissed. Have a great week.